0: Welcome to the channel of the Wisdom of Anna. Look for the link below this podcast to make sure, or if you're watching on the video channels, you can uh, look for the link below and make sure you follow for future podcasts. The link below will direct you to your favorite podcast listening studio, including Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Once you open the podcast link, scroll over either the... Uh, either of those three buttons, Apple, Spotify, or Google, if you're not already listening on those platforms, uh, we'll need to know to adjust your volume button as well. So just make sure you sign up for those and join me at Anna Purdue. Meanwhile, I also want to give a huge shout out to Kendrick K., Jesus V, and Casey Global Productions for your donations this month. It's been, uh, pretty, I, as we know uh it's it's been kind of a struggle. So um I'll let you know I've I've mentioned it in my earlier podcast that PayPal has permanently suspended my account so it's much harder for me to uh collect these donations. And if you are inclined to donate, you can do so by donating at the alternate account that's listed in the description box below or you can click on um uh go to stripe.com and the link for my stripe uh stripe.com donation is in the description box as well and if you um have zelle with your banking my email address is perduanna And again, my mailing address is also in the description box. I appreciate any donations that you're able to give to help me get through this month and into the next one. And let's get started with today's message. And it begins today with the Pentagon Press Secretary, John Kirby. He, He tweeted this tweet today and it's a hard it's pretty sad but he says we can confirm that the explosion at the Abbey Gate was the result of a complex attack that's resulted in a number of US and civilian casualties we can also confirm at least one other explosion at or near the Baron Hotel a short distance from Abbey Gate we will continue to update and this comes on the heels of multiple senior Chinese officials warnings against any proposed U.S. wanton sanctions on the Taliban by the United States in the aftermath of the group's takeover of Afghanistan. The warning comes as the World Bank and International Monetary Fund, among other international institutions, are freezing the funding to Afghanistan in light of the Taliban's return to power, expressing both human rights concerns and confusion regarding who is currently serving as head of state of the country. The Taliban leadership hasn't appointed a head of state or announced the installation of any individuals as the actual leaders of their country as of yesterday, which was August the 25th. But the Taliban became the de facto national government of Afghanistan after the ex-president Ashraf Gandhi, uh, Ghani fled to Kabul that on, um, that was on August the 15th. The Taliban jihadists that have surrounded Kabul, they had surrounded er, hours earlier, but they hadn't entered the city. But following Ghani's flight, the Taliban leaders announced the country would reband as the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan and the Taliban would build a full government apparatus to replace the fallen republic as soon as possible. Well, meanwhile, China is trying to extend their support of this new regime. Afghanistan has huge deposits of natural resources that are estimated right now to be a trillion dollars or more, including what may be the world's largest lithium reserves. The country has witnessed four decades of war with the Soviet Union between warring tribes and the U.S. attack and subsequent control over Afghanistan after the 2001 attacks. So, in all of this, what's remained untouched is the mining of these huge natural resources and using them for the development work of Afghanistan. The poor infrastructure in the landlocked country, along with weak security, has hampered efforts to mine and profit from these resources. And in 2018, a Reuters report stated that about 500,000 tons of talc was used in products ranging from paint to baby powder, were exported from Afghanistan until March of that year. But almost all of that went to Pakistan, where much of that was re-exported. Pakistan provides more than a third of the U.S. imports of talc, and much also ends up in the European Union. Well, after the present Taliban takeover, the United States has already frozen almost $9.5 billion in Afghans' reserves. And the International Monetary Fund has also cut off financing for Afghanistan, including nearly $500 million that was scheduled to be disbursed around about the same time the Taliban took control. So Kabul now faces a growing economic crisis, with prices of staples like flour and oil surging and the pharmacies Pharmacies are running short on drugs, and the ATMs are being depleted of cash. So, Taliban this week has appointed a new central bank chief to address these problems. But amidst all this crisis, Beijing can offer exactly what Kabul needs: political support on international forums and economic investment in that war-torn country. See, for China, Afghanistan holds economic and strategic value. So China sees this as an opportunity to invest in the country's mineral sector. The Taliban has said that they want good international relations, of course, particularly with China. And China is also showing that they mean business. So already, the Communist Party-backed Global Times reported that Chinese investment is likely to be widely accepted in Afghanistan. And other media report says that the United States is in no position to meddle with any potential cooperation between China and Afghanistan, including on rare earth. Beijing has been telling the Taliban do not do any terrorist attacks against China and views strong economic ties as key to ensuring stability. The plan is to take back these minerals to its own country and use in Chinese-financed infrastructure that includes about $60 billion in projects in neighboring Pakistan. In the mid-2000s, investors led by state-owned Metallurgical Corp. of China won an almost $3 billion bid to mine the copper near Kabul. It still hasn't seen any output due to a series of delays ranging from security concerns to the discovery of the historical artifacts, and there's still no rail or power plant. Metallurgical Corp. of China said in its 2020 annual report it was negotiating with the Afghan government about the mining contract after earlier saying it was economically unviable. In 2010, U.S. officials estimated that Afghanistan had $1 trillion of unexplored mineral deposits. The then-Afghanistan government had said that the mineral resources are actually worth three times that much. They include vast reserves of lithium, rare earths, and copper, materials that are critical to the global green energy transition. The Taliban takeover in Afghanistan comes at a critical time for the battery materials supply chain, and producers are looking to invest in more upstream assets to secure lithium supply. Currently, the United States, Japan, and Europe have been seeking to cut their dependence on China for the rare earths used in items like permanent magnets. Now that the U.S. has abandoned Afghanistan, they have forfeited those prime opportunities to not only further stabilize the region, but now they've lost a major resource as well. While China is establishing these trade talks with this, their new alliance with this newly formed terrorist government, they are positioning themselves to further distance any remnant alliances they may have once had with the United States of course, the United States military is exchanging the same sentiments. Three aircraft carriers embarking two different models of F-35 stealth fighters have assembled in the waters around Okinawa. The three-carrier group with two American flat tops and one British one is among the most powerful naval formations to appear anywhere in many years. And it's Not hard to understand the timing and location. The Chinese Navy in recent weeks has been rehearsing an invasion of Taiwan, and the three U.S. military carriers are warning to China that an attack on the Thai island democracy could have profound consequences. Folks, it looks like we're getting ready to have some serious issues with this country. The three flat tops, they converged from separate directions, which was the British, American, and Dutch escorts for several weeks now. They've been crisscrossing the Western Pacific. And the 919-foot carrier with two squadrons of F-35B jump jets aboard, one from the Royal Air Force and another from the United States Marine Corps, they departed the U.K. for her maiden cruise back in May. Um, they sailed through the Mediterranean and across the Indian Ocean to, re- to reach the Pacific via the Singapore Strait. The USS America was the first American flattop to join up with Queen Elizabeth. So America, an 844-foot amphibious assault ship with a conventional power, uh, power plant, that functions as a light carrier when she embarks a squadron of, and she had the squadron of two F-35Bs. So she sails from Japan, usually in the company of destroyers and other amphibious sh- ships from the United States Seventh Fleet. But things are really heating up there. I mean, really heating up there more than they have in, in, in a long time. And just a few months ago, we learned how China had used the Bhutan land grab as an illustration to show the world their power. So... <sighs> It looks like we're trying to flex our muscles with China, and I just don't see that we have it to give right now. Um, we're definitely not making some good decisions. We learned only a few months ago how China used the land grab as an illustration to show the world their power. And quietly seizing a chunk of land from its small Himalayan neighbor, Beijing is displaying the favored tactic of countries that want to alter the international order but aren't ready to confront it head-on. So over several years, China has sought to fortify its Tibetan border and gain leverage on the South Asian rival India by stealthily constructing a complex of roads, villages, and security installations on land that belongs to Bhutan. It's clear whether the Bhutanese government even realized that the People's Liberation Army had effectively invaded a small remote part of its territory, or if it even knew, but was powerless to respond. What is clear is that the Chinese presence is not leaving the world stage. And this is an increasingly familiar maneuver. This is the nature of territorial aggression in the modern world. It wasn't always this way. Before 1945, it was more common to see the outright blatant conquest of entire nations Just think of how many times Poland was wiped off the map by stronger powers since World War II. However, only a single internationally recognized country, South Vietnam, has disappeared because of military aggression. When North Korea tried to conquer South Korea, or Saddam Hussein's Iraq temporarily swallowed Kuwait. The international community led by D.C. restored the status quo. Some scholars argue that a revolution in international law made the world safer for the weak. In nominally outlawing war, they contend the kellogg briand Pact of 1928 turned the moral tide against aggression. In truth, the key was the post-World War II pact, Americana rooted in military alliances and forward deployments that delivered unprecedented security to key regions of the globe. To allow unchecked military aggression, President Harry Truman explained to Congress in 1947, was to cast the world back into the dark anarchy that had just produced a cataclysm. The result, though, was not to eliminate aggression. It was simply to moderate it through the force of American power. Revisionist nations find it more difficult to openly confront a U.S.-backed status quo, so they have to proceed more subtly. The answer since 1945 has been the limited land grab, in which an aggressor quickly or covertly seizes what they often was usually a fairly modest piece of terrain but China has adapted a piecemeal step-by-step approach to controlling the South China Sea, making moves, building an artificial island there, seizing a disputed reef there. The shift that the status quo without triggering a major conflict with its neighbors or DC. Beijing quietly sends troops onto pieces of inaccessible terrain claimed by India or Bhutan. It tests Japan's control of the disputed Senkaku Islands in the East China Sea by applying consistent, low-grade military pressure with its Coast Guard. In a way, the fact that aggression now happens mainly in this murky gray zone is a testament to what the U.S. and its friends have built since 1945. China's sneaky conquest in Bhutan makes a mockery of its pledges that it will never seek hegemony or expansion. This Bhutan land grab from China is nothing new. As far back as 2016, reports have surfaced of the Chinese president gobbling up land masses all over. Xi Jinping offered in 2016 a whopping $60 billion loan and aid package to Africa, saying that China aims to develop infrastructure, improve agriculture, and reduce poverty on its continent. This is yet another example of China's burgeoning economic presence in Africa, and its investment there has skyrocketed from $7 billion in 2008 to $26 billion in 2013, according to figures cited at Wharton Africa Business Forum held in 2016. So imagine how much more investment has been dumped since then. But... That relationship with Africa has been fraught with controversy. Meanwhile, United States lawmakers are acting with increased concern as Chinese purchasers are buying tens of thousands of acres of U.S. farmland. As the start of 2020, Chinese investors owned about 192,000 acres of U.S. agriculture land valued at $1.9 billion dollars. While Chinese land ownership in the U.S. is less than that of the other foreign nations, the growth in Chinese land ownership is part of an overall trend in China, rapidly buying up other countries' farmland over more than a decade. In 2018, the U.S. Department of Agriculture reported that China's agricultural investments in other nations had grown more than tenfold what they had, The extensive Chinese land holdings in the U.S. have stirred calls to cut China off and stem the potential U.S. reliance on those Chinese landowners from both sides of the political aisle. The current trend in the U.S. is leading us toward the creation of a Chinese-owned agricultural land monopoly. Representative Dan Newhouse, he had warned about this in a recent House Appropriations hearing. Newhouse had actually raised his concerns about the Chinese land ownership as he proposed an amendment in a new agricultural appropriations bill, which is House Resolution 4356, that would block any new agricultural purchases by companies that are wholly or partly controlled by the Chinese government and would ban existing Chinese-owned farms in the U.S., from drawing from federal agricultural support programs. According to Joe Maxwell, president of Family Farm Action, foreign investors could likely still set up limited liability companies in the U.S. and designate an American owner to circumvent reporting requirements while still owning the U.S. agricultural land through their corporate structure. When this land change, changes hands, they're going to gobble it up. Maxwell said this about the Chinese and the other foreign buyers. Of course they will. These investments artificially increase the value of that land, which then denies young and beginning farmers opportunities to farm. Is this what the former Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, was speaking of when he addressed all 50 state governors at a gubernatorial assembly several years ago? Did our state governors and legislatures sell us out to China? Is this why our national legislature body is pressing for tyranny with such ease? I mean, really, these are questions worth considering. Remember, in a recent podcast titled Rise to Power, when I exposed the plans for the nassara Jassara Financial Reset being headed up by the Asian Investments Infrastructure Bank using the social credit score system, This is why I believe understanding history is key to reversing nefarious invasions. A quote from the greatest Chinese world invader in history, Genghis Khan. He says this, Not even a mighty warrior can break a frail arrow when it is multiplied and supported by its fellows. As long as you brothers support one another and render assistance to one another, your enemies can never gain the victory over you. But if you fall away from each other, your enemy can break you like frail arrows one at a time. And you know what? That's exactly what this divide and conquer in America is successfully creating. Frail arrows. On a side note, there is an increasing number of uninhabited ghost cities in China. Don't you think that's odd? They seem like they've been abandoned for years after they've been constructed. I mean, People—they don't even know how many of these Chinese ghost cities even currently exist. I mean, they're—they're they're, they're guessing as many as fifty cities. Some of these cities have uh, not even been completed, and then there's some that have been completed and there are fully functioning metropolis metropolitan cities except for there's no residents there's there's like ghost cities like this all over china i don't think this is coincidence at all In this channel's most recent podcast, entitled Many Faces in Time, I laid out a detailed history and family tree of the players in these end-time events. I know that particular podcast was really long. I hope you were able to get through it, but it was a really important podcast for you to to, to bring you to this one I'm doing today. And I, I would suggest you download that particular podcast, because that's one you'd have to listen to over and over to fit all the pieces of the puzzle together and really review it periodically in order to know what we're dealing with today, because that really does set the stage in that video or that podcast. But in a prophecy in Ezekiel 38, the Bible actually labels this vast territory of northern Eurasia, where the Skits lived. It's a region, and I've discussed it in my other video, but we'll we'll just do a quick review. It's it's the region that stretched from the Russian steppes east into the modern-day China and Mongolia as Magog. This territory, it contained many different tribes of people of the white and yellow races, and they were all known as Skits or Scythians by the Greeks. Well, Ezekiel 38 prophecy demonstrates this as well, listing numerous nations and peoples associated with or that were dwelling in the land of Magog. Well, the people who most prominently settled this land, they're typically identified as Mongolic and Turkic. The name Mongol is even derived from the name Magog. Well, the ancient history of this land is a story about different Turkic and Mongolic tribes vying for control of the area. And whenever a tribe grew strong enough, it would rule the area. And in rare cases, like with the Huns and the uh, Seljuk Turks and Mongols, if these nomadic tribes consolidated enough power, they conquered lands beyond their own. The resulting conquest led to much cultural and genetic intermixing with the people of Central Asia, and it makes their national borders largely irrelevant to defining their ethnic backgrounds. Well, today... The land the Bible calls Magog is dominated in the West by Russia, which is reasserting control over the region it once possessed through the USSR, and China is in the East. While the Mongols' connection to Magog is most obvious, they were just one tribe of a related people that carry the biblical name Magog. Ezekiel 38 is a prophecy about the land of Magog and all the distant cousins that live there and are associated with each other, such as the Russians and Chinese. One of the Mongolic nomadic tribes in this area bears a special relationship with China, and they are the Khitan, a people that were responsible for China's modern name and is one of China's biblical names, Chittim or Kittim. Isaiah 23, 1 through 3 reveal that Chittim Modern day China will form a part of a global economic market along with Europe. And it should be no surprise that China will be an integral part of this economic partnership with Europe as it is now the world's greatest exporter. These two trading blocks will soon dominate the global economy. Will China become the world's next dominating superpower after the decline of the United States? Well, the answer is no. Though it will grow to tremendous world power, even superpower status, especially through economic means, as indicated in Isaiah 23, it will not rise to the top spot. That position will be filled by the European power led by Germany, as I noted in that last segment of the latest podcast, Many Faces in Time. After a short economic partnership, China will violently contend with the king of the north for global dominance. But this war will end when Jesus Christ returns and destroys both powers.